Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Rick. Actually, I didn't think about it. After your announcement and your Lifetime Achievement Award, do I have to call you Sir Richard, or is there any formal no, title? No, the easiest way to deal with that is just forget you ever heard it, and let's just move forward, okay? <laughs> well, I can't help it. I'm just still very proud of that whole thing. But, Rick, one of the things that went on out there uh, at the show is you got the opportunity to talk with a lot of people who yeah. really are experts in your industry. And I was very excited when your daughter told me that she connected with one of our old guests that we had on before, Dr. Colas. And he's he, this guy is a genius. He is yeah. really smart. And I don't know how the guy sleeps. No, the guy's just an anomaly in the industry. Uh, it's just nice to have somebody that has so many uh, responsibilities but is willing to actually put this much energy, time, and effort into educating the public. But educating the public from a perspective of passion and interest at like, hey, if you're thinking about getting a small animal, these are the things you want to think about. You know, Have you ever thought about that? And, and more so with our staff, like uh, there's a – uh, Oxbow, which is who he works for, mm-hmm. uh, small animal product extraordinaire, uh, and they invited uh, a couple of our staff members, one of which was my daughter, out uh, to be kind of in a in like a camp, if you will, out there in Nebraska, mm-hmm. and it was just like a four day, five day, like intensive training, understanding like the world from the perspective of an animal, whether it's a guinea pig or a rabbit, and what are the things that you really want to think about so we can share that with the public, which that's what we do. But, uh, you know, I was just thinking uh, when I was a child, uh, one of the things that I feel, you know, kind of warm and, you know, passionate about was when I was a child from, I, I, we, we had gotten a guinea pig, mm-hmm. and we got it from my younger sister. And she wasn't interested in it, but I was. Right. And so she was probably at the time four and I was probably eight or something like that. And from that point on, um, by the time when I was, I think, 10, we actually opened a full line pet store. And one of the things I brought to the pet store was about 30 baby guinea pigs Mm -hmm. because I had really gotten into – I was just so passionate about it. As just a young kid, you know, I wasn't, I was into sports, but not really, right. you know. Uh, back then, they didn't have handheld computers uh, to distract you. And that was just something that I really enjoyed. I built cages for them, and I was never good at it. Yeah. But I always thought about it from their perspective, you know, get some tunnels, get some ramps, you know, how can we make it fun? But it's such a surprise for so many people to hear because when they think of Rick Bruce, they think that you've just been the fish guru yeah, right. for your entire life. And right. little do they know yeah. that your earliest passion was actually <laughs> for these little guinea pigs that are out there. And that's really cool. And and pets when you're young really do have an impact on you. I 
I know I had a couple of parakeets when I was young, and I got to tell you, it was a pleasure to have them and to hear their chirping in in the mornings. Uh, it was a pleasant way to start the day, and most people don't necessarily think about things. You know, like the first that. thing that uh, you want a child to be is empathetic, right? Um, and sometimes, you know, through through the rigors, you know, the, the who they're exposed to or what their circumstances are, they don't have an opportunity to really kind of develop that skill set early on at being, you know, emoting um, friendship with other kids. And sometimes a pet is a f- perfect opportunity for them to start emoting some of those emotions and caring for something else other than themselves, other than the things that they personally need. Uh, yeah, kids want to play with other kids, but, you know, sometimes pet keeping goes above and beyond that. You know, there's a certain level of commitment and emotional attachment, and they're there at with you at night, you know, at, at, at bedtime. And so... Well, plus you learn to take care of them yeah. in terms of the feeding Responsibility. and the And yeah. it, to me, what it, what it did having parakeets made me aware that bird song's a beautiful thing to listen to. Sure. And bottom line is uh, it, it develops an appreciation, and I think that's a positive thing. But today, Rick, to talk about all this, we're going to have Dr. Mike Akolis on with us, who, as you mentioned, was with Oxbow, uh, or is with Oxbow, forgive me, and he also owns his own veterinary hospital. He's involved with a number of organizations and is a professor at University of Nebraska, Talk about a busy guy, uh, but he's going to be on to talk about these small animals and how Oxbow comes up with the products that they have for caring for them. So should be a great conversation. And we've got Katie Ramp, who works for you and is involved in the breeding of the small animals that you've got. And you guys really do have quite an operation going at Bruce Pats that everyone might not be aware of are they no no uh it's a it's a whole new world there and new as in babies coming all the time (laughs) well and that's what we're going to talk about this week on the mid-michigan pet expert talk show here on 1320 wils now more of the mid-michigan pet expert talk show on more compelling talk radio 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, we have with us on the line a returning guest. It's Dr. Micah Colas, who he is the Vice President of Technical Services and Research for Oxbow. He is the owner of Woodland Animal Hospital and on the staff over at the University of Nebraska. Dr. Colas, welcome back to the show. Thanks again for having me. Been looking forward to it. Oh, it's our pleasure. I, how you find the time, I do not know because talk about an incredible list of things. And now I understand that you were at the Super Zoo along with Rick Pruce and you're involved with the WPA as well. Yeah, just a great a great group of people. And it was it was really nice to get back together as a 
kind of a, a profession and, and really see a lot of faces and reconnect with a lot of people that, you know, just continue to be passionate about animal care and the animal health industry and the pet market as a whole. So still got some big hurdles to overcome, um, but we had right, you know, controls and safety measures in place. And it was really great to, to see a variety of people and, and obviously celebrate, you know, Rick getting a great lifetime achievement award as well. Well, I know he enjoyed it, and we were all very proud of him here. Now, for our conversation today, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that you're involved with with Oxbow, uh, specifically dealing with small animals. Can you explain to our listeners who might not be familiar with Oxbow, tell us a little bit about the company, what it does, and what kind of products it provides to the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so uh, Oxbow Animal Health is, is a family-owned company. You know, we've been around for pushing 30, 35 years now. Uh, started in, in Nebraska, and, and John Miller, the owner, was was a hay farmer. I mean, that's what he did, um, and just really had a passion for growing the highest quality hays that he possibly could. And as he began to invest more and do more research into growing hays, you know, it was right at the time that the market was really evolving, where rabbits and guinea pigs, you know, were really becoming pets more than production animals and so he had a passion for growing quality hay at the time when people were looking for high quality forages and so he applied his passion as an entrepreneur and so really since our beginning you know we've been focused just on exotic companion mammals so rabbits guinea pigs chinchillas you know rats mice hamsters dribbles those guys really focused on nutrition Um, every product we have out there starts with what's nutritionally and environmentally appropriate for the animal Um, and we do that just trying to stay true to the animal and stay true to quality. And we've just been really, really fortunate over the years um, because we've stayed so true to who we are and, you know, not chased market trends or marketing fads. Um, we, we really have a really loyal, loyal uh, following of just passionate, educated, intelligent pet owners who just kind of want to go above and beyond. Um, so, yeah, very, very cool company. I've been really fortunate to be here about 15 years Um, Like I said, still family owned and just working up every day trying to do the best we possibly can. Yeah, I'd I'd like to make some comment to that because uh, I've been on the journey for a long time. And I would say that uh, Oxbow is that one company that's kind of like a, a signature company that comes along and sees seizes an opportunity. And the opportunity in the small animal, you know, field was like like an entire open field. It's it's as if for years and years and years, companies kind of look towards how can we make money off of this particular category rather than how we can improve it. And I would have to say that just being kind of at the crossroads, it was, it was the hay and the Timothy hay, how it was packed, how fresh it looked, and kind of how nobody else was really catering to that, you know, it was kind of just boxed stuff, you know, that you had, you know, and it was all about packaging and how fancy did the package look and how likely would you be to take it off the shelf. It wasn't about, you know, what the animals really need. And then it just seems like as the the, the river flow continued, it just seems like opportunity after opportunity after opportunity of product lines that you guys carry really cater to the idea of what is it if you really got down and dirty and you looked into uh, what do small animals need as a nutritional 
guidance or as a you know something to keep them busy what 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 how, how about if we just spend some time thinking about you know the animal from the animal's perspective and would there be products available that we could come up with that would make a lot more sense and i'd like yeah. you to talk a little bit about that because to me you know there's just an endless a number of products that you guys have come out with that seem to just have focused purpose but also yeah. a huge demand and i think it goes to that's why you have such a a, fo- a following yeah well and i think one thing i alluded to that you're kind of circling back to is you know when we look at innovation or, or when we look at product development um there's a lot of different angles that we take to look at that but you know we talk to consumer groups and focus groups and you know all those things but but it really comes down to just one thing uh, and that's the animal and you know right wrong or otherwise i i as, as painful as it is to say it Every single animal we have in captivity, you know, we've screwed them up, right? We, we can't mimic Mother Nature perfectly or their environmental uh, factors. And so our goal as a company is always to simply say, if that rabbit, if that guinea pig were living in a wild environment, you know, what would they be doing? What would they be eating? What would that environmental enrichment physically and mentally and nutritionally, you know, what would that look like? You know, if they're going to explore and play and chew and hide all these natural things that they do, how do we engage them? How do we stimulate that natural behavior? And then obviously with nutrition, it's how do we get as close to what they would be eating in the wild as we possibly can? You know, now you always got to balance what mom and dad are willing to do, right? And the regulatory environment and and the market itself. But we've worked really hard to stay true to that um, because the moment you start being willing to sacrifice what's right for the animal for a little bit of revenue and a little bit of margin, um, you quickly erode, frankly, who you are. And who you are is, is probably the most important thing you have in terms of a brand one thing i noticed this year when i was at the show is uh mimicry or you know copying uh is maybe the greatest form of flattery and i noticed that there was a lot of product lines coming out by other companies that just kind of had that kind of uh visual appearance that that kind of follows your visual appearance but i think you know you guys you guys set the trend you know it and and like i've seen this in fish products you know um seacom has been one of these companies that uh, kind of follow the same footpath that you guys do and i i noticed the one of the big guys was putting out a product that was exactly like theirs and kind of marketing in such a way that you know they were trying and, and it was so funny because it's kind of like the little guy sets the trend and these big guys are like what happened <laughs> how did we find off trail you know and why are they over there getting all the attention and we aren't getting it and then the only option they really have since you went down the path of you know what does the animal need they can't reinvent it you know what i mean yeah. you did it yeah. so let's uh, talk I, about, don't, I don't mind the copies you know to me i agree that's the biggest form of flattery and you know the market is big enough for a lot of people and you know if if we continue to push each other and we continue to evolve you know copying is not really evolution but uh, I, we certainly love other companies because the harder we get pushed the better off we're going to be at holding ourselves accountable to your point to staying true to who we are but um it, it's great to be 
be the market leader, and we're extremely proud of that and humbled by that, but we also don't take that lightly. Um, every day is, is pushing and shoving and lovingly heated discussions here at Oxbow about how do we continue to evolve our company all the while not losing track that our number one accountability and responsibility is to the animal, who frankly doesn't even have its own voice. You know what I mean? So uh, I agree with you 100%. Now, what's... Uh what what is on the horizon? What let's say in the last couple of years, um, what are you looking at in the small animal department, <clears throat> that small animal field that the consumer needs to know? What are we, what what yeah. what are we following? Like what's 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 latest? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple ways that I like to look at that. I think you know, inevitably, consumers and people in the pet market are always looking for what's new. You know, I always like to honestly start with what are we doing to make sure that the products we already have are nutritionally correct and evolving with the research. And so, you know, we're constantly looking at our current products and, you know, you know, evaluating is an ingredient need to be changed or is there a new natural antioxidant out there? And so, you know, in addition to new innovation, we're kind of making sure that we're keeping our old historical kind of brands that have been out there for a long time in the market standards. We want to keep them fresh and nutritionally appropriate as well. But for us, you know, three or four years ago, we have been long looking at the hard goods market, the enrichment items, um, and just really realizing there was an opportunity because, to your point, nobody was really taking the time to innovate there. It was, you know, here's another purple plastic, you know, water bowl that is just completely inappropriate. And so we spent multiple years really building that platform and, you know, now have well over 100 hard goods items that really all tie to that stimulating natural behavior, exploration and playing and chewing and hiding. And so, you know, this last April, we added another 20 new items. Uh, we have a full line of habitats that are all around engaging the animal and stimulating natural behavior. So that's been something that I've been super proud of our organization, you know, because as a veterinarian, you know, A, we don't always do a good job about talking about the enrichment side of things. We talk about nutrition, right? We talk about disease, but we also, when we do, there just weren't products out there that I really felt good even recommending. And so the market's feedback, both on the pet owner side and on the veterinary side to our, our hard goods, has just really been invigorating. It just, it just keeps pushing us to do more because we've had such positive feedback. Um, so that's kind of one side of it. You know, we are always looking at new species, you know, so I'm, I'm excited at some of the new diets that we're developing regarding species. Um, I think you've seen a little bit of an evolution where enrichment has really become kind of a big theme in the marketplace. And Rick, this goes back to what you alluded to. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing that we're talking about enrichment. We're talking about stimulation. The problem we run into is that when companies don't really understand it and they use it as a marketing spin or a market marketing ploy, that's where we run into problems, you know, so you've seen this kind of recent emergent of, you know, enrichment mixes or, you know, muesli mixes that are supposed to provide enrichment or diversification. And it's just, it's just really bad marketing and inappropriate nutrition. That's the sad thing. And, you know, I'm the first one to stand in the aisle and look at all these different foods and the fancy packaging and look at all those different pieces. But the problem is if you understand natural behavior for the animal, and most of these animals are concentrate selectors, what that means is they're still wired to be in the wild. In the wild, they want to find the most calories in the shortest period of time they can before some predator either eats them or chases them back into a hole. 
Well, that's a great survival mechanism. The problem is that when we bring them into captivity, right, there are no predators. Their food kind of magically floats down from the proverbial <laughs> heavens every day, right? Um, uh, but when we feed them foods that allow them mm-hmm. to selectively feed, they're going to do it every time, and that leads to imbalanced nutrition. So just because we slap a label on the front of it that says, mm-hmm. you know, enrichment mix or, um, you know, any types of those types of kind of slang things that are out there, it's, it's really, really misleading. Um, and at the end of the day, it can, again, just lead to inappropriate nutrition for these animals. And so I just, I love the evolution of the marketplace, but it really is concerning to me some of the marketing games that occur um, that are really misleading to owners. Now, Dr. Collis, one of the issues that comes up from the food is the smell. And that's one of the reasons why some people choose not to have small animals. What can be done to deal with that? Yeah, I think it's a it's a very valid question, right? Because inevitably, you know, owners, even if they think they're cute, there are other sides to that. I think the thing that I would start with, though, is, you know, if you look at your children and said they're too smelly, I don't want them, none of us are going to do that. And so I think it's, it's a misnomer to say that these animals aren't going to smell. Every animal has its own unique smell, whether that's a smell native to their body. You know, you know rabbits have glands that particularly produce an aroma, just like ferrets do. So there's that natural aroma. But then the other other side of that is the aroma that may be produced from um, their excrement, right? Their urine or their stool. And so, you know, understanding the species that you're getting, doing your homework before you get any animal so that you understand what is their behavior? When are they active? Are they handleable? You know, making sure that that pet's natural behavior is aligned to what you're looking for is important. And part of that is, is what do you need to do to provide the right enrichment? Are they going to have a, a stool production? If they do, is it going to smell bad? You know, just be prepared for that. We're talking Talking this morning with Dr. Micah Colas, and we will be back right here on 1320 WILS. The Pet Experts are in. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. It's 9.35, and we're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we're talking this morning with Dr. Micah Colas, who is the Vice President of Technical Services and Research with Oxbow, among other things. And Dr. Colas, to begin this segment, let's talk about small animals and what are appropriate pets at what ages for people to get because there's people who want their kids to be exposed to small animals but they might not know what to get or at what age to get can you help them out yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is a really paramount question because, you know, getting a pet at any age is a huge decision, right? And and we also know that it's it's a long time decision. You know, these animals can live two years up to eight, 10, 12, 14 years. And so doing that research, that education on the front side of things, not only to what pet is appropriate, but, but what does it mean lifetime to how to feed them and provide enrichment and husbandry and habitat? I, I do think that's a great question. So I get this question a lot, to be honest with you. And, you know, we all look at dogs and cats and say, oh, what a great first pet. And I, I really want people to understand that, in my opinion, that that's actually not true. Um, they're great pets, without a doubt. But we want to be successful, and we want to engage our kids, if that's the thing, uh, in these animals. And so what I really like to start with is talking to owners about that, you know, some of these pets, you know, especially when we talk about, like, rats. I mean, rats are my favorite go-to first pet. Now, sometimes moms and dads just can't get over their tail, but what I always remind them of is, you know, rats are 
are not only ridiculously clean, um, they're very intelligent, they're very handleable, they tend to be really quite healthy, and, and the reality is, not good or bad, they only tend to live two or three years, right? So you're not tying yourself to this eight or ten year commitment that you would with another animal, but it's an animal that's easy to handle, they're laid back, they're easy going, um, and just a really a pet that at kids even as young as three and four can easily be integrally involved in the care and the maintenance and uh, of a pet like that. Um, you know, hamsters get a lot of attention. They're cute, right? They're, they're playful. Uh, and I don't dislike hamsters, but I will say that in general, their attitudes tend to be a little bit more, maybe I don't want to be picked up. I mean, there are very loving hamsters, but they don't tend to be quite as easygoing in my experience um, as rats are. Now, there's different breeds of hamsters. You've got Syrians, you've got teddy bears, you've got goldens. There's a little variation there. Um, but I tend to put hamsters more in that five to six range just because you got to be a little more thoughtful with how you handle them, a little bit more reactive because they just don't tend to be as easygoing. You know, after that, guinea pigs are, are really a phenomenal pet. Um, again, very laid back, very easy to handle, very sociable. You know, and that's something I should have talked about with rats too, like, you know, they get to know their owners. They communicate verbally and non-verbally. I mean, they actually will come up to you looking for that interaction, really stimulating that human-animal bond. Um, but guinea pigs, you know, obviously require a little more space. They're a little more maintenance with how you got to feed them, a little more effort with keeping their habitat clean. But the advantage of, of guinea pigs is, you know, they're going to live longer. They're going to live seven, eight, nine years at times. Uh, again, very sociable, easy to handle, overall hat, uh, healthy animals. And then kind of the other side of that bucket, you know, I would put rabbits, uh, and, you know, next. Uh, a rabbit is a phenomenal pet um, in terms of their social interaction, their behavior, that human-animal bond. But this is an animal that can potentially live 12, 13, 14 years. And it is an animal that, again, just needs more space, needs more maintenance, needs more food. Um, so I love rabbits a lot, but it's just not a food that are not, excuse me, not an animal that I would typically start with. And then probably the last on that bucket would be the chinchilla. Beautiful animals. Um, but they just don't tend to be as handleable as a lot of these other animals are a little more easily stressed still can be a great pet but yeah. just something that we really want owners to maybe look to a different animal to kind of their starter pet and look to build towards something like a rabbit or a chinchilla yeah the one thing i wanted to mention uh, chinchillas would be a perfect example part of this is just knowing your child you know there's totally. it's just yeah. like when you're a young child and there's one that's just geeked out on every dinosaur name that you could ever think of <laughs> and then another child that would have no care you know and yeah. the same thing with pets and pet keeping um Understanding your child, your child's level of responsibility. I've seen, you know, five-year-olds that are more responsible than 10. I've, but the question is, for something like a chinchilla, are you willing to set back, observe, and understand, or do you want it to just immediately perform? Because it's not going to immediately perform, but if you want something that's a challenge to go beyond, above and beyond the normal expectations of a relationship of a pet, that you want to challenge yourself at trying to understand where a pet's coming from, something like a chinchilla might work just perfectly for a 12-year-old that just has this undying curiosity on how things work. 
Yeah. You know, and I think one thing I would add to that, you know, we talk so much about kids and first pets, but, you know, let's not forget that there's a lot of uh, younger adults and a lot of older adults, frankly, that are just looking for that human animal bond, but not something that they got to take for a two mile walk every day or or empty a great big litter box. And so what's been really exciting for me is I see more and more of these what I would actually call non-traditional kind of rat owners and guinea pig owners, but they still want that interaction, right? They're at a time in their life and COVID really brought a lot of people to say, you know, I want that opportunity. I want that relationship, but I don't maybe want the responsibility of a dog or a cat. And and that's been exciting for me as well. Yeah, I find, uh, you know, either singles or just couples that uh, don't necessarily have a family started will oftentimes use something like a guinea pig or rats or whatnot as their surrogate family. You know, they're, it's their child. They would do anything for those particular animals and there's no small animal or a small human in sight that, that, that interacts with it. Right. No, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. Now, Dr. Cole, one of the things that people run into, though, is that the animals have their own rhythm as well, and some animals are nocturnal. So how do people enjoy animals if they happen to be nocturnal and on the opposite schedule that we're on? Yeah. Again, it it really starts in the research first, right? Doing the research into what kind of pet you want to get. And, you know, we're certainly talking here predominantly about small animals, but this would hold true to whether you're thinking about a bird, whether you're thinking about a reptile species. And, you know, in some situations where you want an animal that you don't really want to handle, that you just want to look at and enjoy, you know, maybe animals like reptiles may be potentially more appropriate. The first thing I would say is, you know, honestly, very true animals that we have as pets are, are truly completely specifically nocturnal. Um, many of them will adapt to the photo periods and the light cycles and activity cycles of the home. But most of these pets being prey species, you know, definitely are more active at kind of that dusk and that dawn, that what we call crepuscular time frames, which would obviously in the wild tie to the times where they would be most likely to be active and looking for food where there'd be less predators. No matter what, you know, you're going to do with an animal, but we don't want to buy an animal expecting to completely change what is natural behavior for them. Um, and so if you want an animal to be healthy, you want them to be long lived, you really want to align their habitat and their nutrition and their photo period to what is natural for them. Doesn't mean there can't be some adaptations there over time. Um, there are certain species, though, where you can look at using different lighting in the cage. Now, most of this is, would be obviously associated with reptile species, but, you know, lighting spectrums that maybe the reptile doesn't necessarily see or they don't cause any negative effect, but they allow to, you to see that animal animal and natural environment. You know, I even have clients who have set up cameras um, so they can actually watch their animals <laughs> that do, you know, very natural behavior. So it really depends on, you know, what you're after in that human animal bond, what you're after in that pet um, to determine what's most appropriate. You could have a easily a motion activated <laughs> yeah. camera so you could condense uh, last night's events into, uh, you know, an hour's an hour's watch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, Dr. Collis, we only have about a minute left, but if we were to ask you what advice you would give people about getting a small animal, what should they do? 
Yeah, I think the first thing you've heard me say it repeatedly is you just don't rush into the decision. You know, I think we've all been guilty, including myself, frankly, of going to a, a pet show and saying it's so cute and then walking home with a pet that we just weren't prepared for. You know, do your research, set yourself up, have that habitat purchased and set up and ready to go before you ever go pick up that munchkin just to take away as much of that stress, not only on you as a new pet owner, but obviously on the pet as well. You know, if you're going to engage the children, which is a phenomenal thing to do, make sure that they're part of that research, that part of that buildup. And they go into this new, amazing part of your family's journey, you know, with clear expectations is what is their role? What is their responsibility? What is their accountability? And, and this isn't something that you can just say, I'm going to fold my clothes tomorrow because it doesn't matter, right? If you don't feed the animal, that has significant impacts. But above all, I would just, you know, really tell people to think about it. Think about the experience. I mean, you know, life is, is full of different journeys and decisions along the way but you know there's I can count on, the, on one hand the number of people who I you know have come back to me and said I really wish I would have never gotten a pet um, set yourself up for success make it a family ordeal so everybody's ingrained and do your research and then just enjoy the relationship it, it's truly a privilege to, to own pets and there's a lot of different life lessons that can be learned for kids in, in being a, a pet parent well, Dr. Collis, I, I can't agree with you more. So thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate your time. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate everything you guys do with getting information that's out there and uh, look forward to maybe joining you again in the future. Fantastic. We've been talking with Dr. Micah Collis, who is the vice president of technical services and research with Oxbow. Uh, and we look forward to speaking with you again. Meantime, Rick, we'll take a break. And after the break, we'll continue the conversation right here on 1320 WILS. This is more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS, and the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Now, back to Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And, Rick, we have with us on the line Katie Ramp, who is a returning guest, and she works in the small animal and reptile department at Pruse Pets. Welcome back to the show, Katie. Thank you. Oh, it's our pleasure. Katie, we were just talking with Dr. Colas about getting a small animal and what it's like. And it was really amazing because one of the things he just kept talking about was doing your homework and doing your research in advance before you get one of these animals. Now, I would assume that when people need to do their research, one of the best things they can do is to come in and talk with the folks in your department who all have a lot of experience when it comes to living with and taking care of small animals. Am I right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think one thing that would be helpful for the listener is to understand, you know, uh, Katie works in the small animal reptile area. But Katie, uh, talk a little bit about where you spend most of your time or at least a good portion of your time with these particular small animals. Yeah, so I'm actually the um, breeding room coordinator, so I breed a lot of the small animals um, that go up for adoption at uh, Pruce. Yeah, and so in back, if you, you know, people see the store and the front's a pretty large store and it's kind of fun to explore. And if you come in and you just want to ask questions, there's somebody that's going to be able to answer those questions. If you want to see what these animals look like, we'll have them on display, probably in, you know, nice environments that kind of share with you the idea of how you might want to keep them. But 
through the back doors, past the fish room, down the ramp, and up and around and up some stairs. There's actually a room back there that's pretty substantial in size. Um, and what do you have in that room? Yeah, we breed um, rats, chinchillas, hamsters, gerbils. Um, and hedgehogs and sugar gliders. You know, the one thing that I wanted to bring up, which, you know, sometimes in the, the, the pet industry, in order to keep up with the demand, um, some of these breeding facilities can be pretty uh, ambitious and... Uh, well, substantial, but not necessarily tugging at your heart. And what I do like when I come up to that room, there's a rocking chair in there. There's <laughs> there, that, and all of the animals are in cages that are probably, you know, twice to three times, four times larger than what's absolutely necessary in order to breed an animal. Um, talk a little bit about that. Well, yeah, we like to make sure that they have more um, enrichment than uh, you typically think for um, breeding animals. Um, they do so much for us, and we want to make sure that they, we give them a really great life as well. Um, and then the babies that we get from them, we want to make sure they're super social and happy um, for when they go over off to their forever homes. How do you... Uh make that happen how do you how do you make a, a small hamster or gerbil or rat or chinchilla or degu or the various animals that you're breeding back there how do you make them more social what do you what do you do come on barry white music you know that rick <laughs> <laughs> Um, so for with a lot of them, actually, a lot of um, our small animal reptile staff helps out with that a lot, um, especially with like some of our larger ones like the rats and the chinchillas and the degus. Um, when they're pretty young but um, can be away from mom for a while, we like to bring them, bring them down to the sales floor, and um, a lot of us will just carry around baby rats on our shoulders when they're <laughs> when they're getting close to finding their homes and just kind of getting them used to us and used to being around people and i think that's one of the things too about that intimate room um you know they they see you in a more comfortable setting um they're in a more comfortable setting the parents are not getting freaked out when you walk up to the cage or the environment so it's sharing with the the youngsters that uh, this person is okay um, and uh, she's supposed to be here so yeah. uh, you know my hat's off to you I, I, I go up there from time to time and you wouldn't think that you would sit in a room with uh, a couple hundred pets by the time you count all the babies and just relax you would think that the odor would be too strong or um, it just wouldn't be the kind of environment it's actually pretty relaxing you, you, you <laughs> keep them maintained well enough that it's not something oh, that <laughs> even though you have so many animals in there you know there's it, it's it's not it's not an odor that that, that drives you out of there so uh, <laughs> that's kind of cool um, of the animals that you're breeding right now um, talk a little bit about what you have coming up and available yeah, so right now we have lots of gerbils ready. Um, lots of them are ready currently on the sales floor. Um, so lots and lots of gerbils and more always coming available. Um, we have some dagoos that will be ready soon. Um, we'll have a chinchilla, um, a sugar glider, and some hamsters as well. So would you uh, tell people, uh, so uh, Dr. Micah didn't bring up um, gerbils. Talk about what kind of pet a gerbil makes and who would be an appropriate pet for a gerbil. 
Yeah, so I really like gerbils. In my experience, they tend to be a little less um, bitey as a self-defense as opposed to hamsters. Uh-huh. Um, but they're pretty quick. They're going to want to run around. Um, and they're really strong chewers, too. So we're giving them lots of wood um, to chew on inside of their enclosure. Um, but they're really fun pets. They're super sweet. Um, all of our babies, we love baby gerbils in the department. So um, a bunch of us just go up there and socialize them and um, get them used to us. So they're usually very sweet. <laughs> yeah, compared to a, you know, when I walk up to the rack, you've got uh, hamsters curled up in the corner. Yeah. Um, and 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 when you want to want want to offer one, not that they don't move around, but oftentimes because it's during the daytime, you know, you have to kind of get the cage out and kind of just coach them up and wake them up a little bit and say, "Hey, come on, buddy, <laughs> you know, uh, time time to get on my hand or whatnot." Whereas the gerbils, anytime I walk by there, you know, you probably have a cage of three, four, five, or six, and they're just constantly like jumping on each other, playing around, you know, just uh, jumping on this, jumping on that so you know for for a child that wants something that they can watch and entertain you be entertained even when they're not out um i think a gerbil makes a fantastic pet i would just suggest that with the gerbils talking to one of you guys to find out what cage environment would work better then you know there's a lot of cages out there for hamsters that are made out of plastic that won't work for gerbils So just something to think about. Uh, yeah. You did also mention another animal that uh, we didn't talk about earlier in the show. Talk a little bit about a Daegu. What's a Daegu and why would they want one? What heeds would there be as far as whether or not they make a good pet? Yeah, so they're really closely related to chinchillas. Um, but as far as hair and everything, I like to describe them more as having a really big gerbil. <laughs> so again, with the gerbils, they're very similar. Um, love to chew. They just need a little bit more space um, than gerbils do, obviously, because they're so big. But they tend to be a little bit more social than them, too, because of their size. Um, they're less worried about being a prey item. So... Now, when it comes to these animals, Katie, I assume that people can come in and really observe them in their natural environment, sort of in the store, because you've got them set up so that people can understand what the animals are like, correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. We try to make um, make enclosures um, that are that look very similar to what we recommend sending them home in. Okay. And, and the one thing I would like, the, the, the upside to uh, breeding our own animals, it's not that we don't find other places, other breeders to help supplement, but um, oftentimes home breeders. Uh, but there's a limit as to how many we can produce. So one thing that tends to be particularly popular, and I'll kind of mention this because we have to get off off the, off the air. We're running out of time, Lee. But, uh, you know, when you come in, we may or may not have an immediate animal to serve up, but we have a really fantastic, like, uh, uh, tracking system. So if you just mention that's what you're interested and get in line, if you will, right. leave your name and phone number, uh, we're going to get back to you as that opportunity unfolds. Right. Well, Katie, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, giving us that information. And uh, good luck in continuing to breed the animals. 
Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. And Rick, I hate to say it, but we are out of time. So on behalf of our producer, Brian Blades, uh, and Rick Pruce, my co-host in the studio, this is Lee Cohen, wishing all of you a great week and a great holiday. We'll be back next weekend on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Meantime, will you all please, please take good care of your pets and stay safe, everybody. Everybody.